Good morning. Anybody have recurring dreams? Same thing over and over? You know, if you're in school, you probably have that dream that there was a test that you didn't hear about and you show up in class and you don't know anything about it. Well, the dream that I have over and over again is it's church time on Sunday morning and all of you are here and I'm somewhere else, but I'm supposed to be here. And I've had that dream over and over again and I'm trying to get back and either my feet are stuck in mud or my car won't work or, you know, the flight got delayed. Something always happened and I can't get to where I'm supposed to be. Some of you might be walking through life feeling like that. I'm just not where I'm supposed to be. I just can't get to where I need to be. Have you ever lost your child in a department store? That's scary. And they're not where they're supposed to be and you turn, they're not there and they're hiding under a rack or something and, and you're running everywhere trying to find them when they're not where they're supposed to be. So the questions become, how do I find them? How do I get to where I'm supposed to be? How do I get from here to over there? And at some point, all of us ask the question from a spiritual perspective. How do I feel closer to God? How do I move from having chaos in my life to peace? How do I move from this uncertainty that I seem to feel all the time to having assurance? How can I know if today's the last day on earth for me and I'm going to be okay for eternity? How do I know that? Several years ago, there were nine miners in western Pennsylvania trapped 200 feet plus below the ground. Nobody knew what was going to happen. They were there for 77 hours, and they were starting to wonder, are we going to get out alive? They get rescued. The stories start to be told about how they wrote notes to their loved ones because they were sure they were going to die. And one of the guys interviewed said, that he asked the question, if I die down here, would I go to heaven? The oldest guy there who had been a minor longer than any other there said this, don't you know that all good people go to heaven no matter what? Now we long to believe that. Wouldn't that be a great truth that all good people go to heaven when this life is over no matter what? That all you had to do was be good, and you'll go to heaven. Now that sounds appealing. Here's the problem. Good moves. Good's not always in the same place. Think of the things just in our country's history that we used to think were good, and good people did, that are no longer good. So if good people go to heaven, how do you decide what good is? Who gets to decide what good is. Who, who creates the scale of goodness to say what's good and what's not? Because unless we have some kind of a standard of goodness, how would we ever know what good is? How do you know when you see something and you think it's good, how do you know that's good? It's because you base it on a standard of some kind of measurement in your life. If someone does something and you think that's really good, you're basing it on a standard of goodness and also a standard of evil. So somewhere the meter hits good and you say, that's good. So for the next few minutes, we're going to use this ladder behind me as the scale of goodness and also the scale of what's not so good. 
So if we were going to have a scale of goodness, I, I would put God at the top, wouldn't you? Anybody disagree? Anybody disagree? Okay, so I'm going I'm to climb up here. I'm not afraid of heights. I'll be fine. I'm going to put God at the top of the scale. All right, so there's God. He's at the top of our goodness scale. He's at the top of our goodness scale because we know God is at the top, right? Everybody agree? Anybody disagree and want to just have it out right now that, that God is not at the top? Okay, so God's at the top of our scale. Now, if we're going to have good, then we have to think about, well, is there something that's bad on the other end of the scale? And so I tried to think, what are some things that we could put at the bottom? I mean, we know Satan is evil, but how is that played out? What does that look like? Where would we put evil on this scale? Well, we'd put it at the bottom. And what would the faces of evil look like? Well, here's one. Here's a face of evil. That's Adolf Hitler. Everybody knows what he did. The Holocaust murdered tens of millions of people because of his distorted view of reality, because of the evil that exists in him. So we're going to put Hitler, we'll put him down here at the bottom. And then another evil person, more modern evil person, uh, Bin Laden. He's a bad guy. Anybody disagree with that? I think we all agree. He's a bad guy. So we'll put him at the bottom. So those two guys are evil. They're bad. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're horrible folks. And uh, take that picture down. Um, so they're horrible folks. And so somewhere between there and there, the rest of humanity lies. Somewhere between God at the top and these evil people at the bottom is the rest of humanity. So if we had to think of the best of the best of good people, you already saw our picture on the screen. The best of the best, the absolute best, well, Mother Teresa, she was an amazing person. Whether you believe, whether you agree with her doctrinally or not, this woman did some great things in countries around the world. She would hug people with infectious diseases. She would hold AIDS babies and AIDS patients without fear of being infected. She gave her life for the poor. She gave up everything for the poor. And she did even more than I could, I could spend the next 30 minutes just talking about all the good that she did. So I think we would all agree this woman did some good things. She really did. So we would put her, we put her pretty high. I would put her pretty high in the scale. I would put her really, really high up here. Let's put her down here. So I would put her, I would put her right there. I would put Mother Teresa right there because she's such a great person. Another person uh, that had a huge impact on our country, Martin Luther King, civil rights activist, pastor, a good man who said, let's make change through peace and through love. And we enjoy that today because of his influence. He stood up and said, no more, but we're going to do this peacefully. And he led a movement where people would no longer be considered high class or low class based on the color of their skin. So he was a really good guy and did some really good things. And so I would put him on the good scale pretty high up. I would put him up there right with Mother Teresa for the impact that he's had on the world. And now, we got to put the rest of humanity in there somewhere. Uh, there's people that are not quite that evil, but not quite that good. So they're going to fall somewhere, 
somewhere in the middle, like uh, where would we put self-absorbed celebrities? Where would we put them? Well, definitely, definitely below Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King, uh, but slightly above Hitler and Bin Laden. So we'll just put uh, the self-absorbed celebrities that think we, that think we care what they think. We'll put them, you know, down there near the bottom. Just not all celebrities, self-absorbed celebrities. There's a difference. And then I have to put myself somewhere since I'm putting this scale up there. So uh, I wouldn't dare put myself as high as these two because, man, they've just accomplished more than I ever can in my life. I don't have enough time left. So I'll just put myself uh, about right here. So there's your pastor. Above self-absorbed celebrities, but below Mother Teresa. And now, here's the tough one. Where would you put this one? Where would you put yourself on this scale? Well, if all you know about me is what you see on Sunday morning, you probably put yourself a little lower, right? If you really know me, you're probably like, oh, I'm probably equal with that, I would say. <laughs> but let's say you just think, well, my pastor, he, he teaches people, he helps people learn about Jesus, he's done that most of his adult life, and, and so that's a lot of good stuff that he gets to have influence on in his life. So, so I'll just stick myself, you know, I'll just put myself a little bit below him but still on the scale. So there's our scale of goodness. So what's your plan to close that gap? If God's up there and Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King are there and your pastor's there and you're there and you don't want to be anything there on the bottom, how are you going to get from where you are to where God wants you to be? Are you just going to be good enough nice enough? Well, if you're going to do that, you better get to work because there's some people on there above you that have accomplished a lot in life. So you better get at it if you're going to pass Mother Teresa for good deeds. You better get at it if you're going to pass Martin Luther King for influence on the world. You better get busy if you're counting on good things for you to do to get you closer to God. See, God has a plan for that gap to be erased. So we can all be up on the top step. It's called salvation. And we've been talking about in this series some pillars of the Christian faith, the existence of God, how God wants a personal relationship with people, and today how salvation is available to all of us. Here's one definition of salvation. It's God bridging the gap between where I am and where he is. We're going to look at a couple of sections of scripture that, where, where people ask the question, how do I get that? How do I do that? And see what the answers were. So there's some Bibles coming down right now. If you don't have one, ushers will give you one of those. You can keep it, borrow it, and you can also read along on the screen. So one day in Jesus' ministry... He is talking to his disciples, his inner circle, about heaven. He's talking about where he's going to go after he leaves the earth. And he's telling them, this is going to be a place. I'm going to go prepare this for you. It's going to be great. And they start to ask, well, how, how can we go? We want to go too. 
And his response is in John 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So is that saying that the only way to close the gap between humanity and God is Jesus Christ? That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus believed. That's what his disciples believed. Now, in today's culture, the, most of the response you would get from that is, well, that sounds so exclusive. That just sounds too exclusive. We want an inclusive God, not an exclusive one. It sounds judgmental. It sounds like hate speech to say that I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. And if you think that sounds too exclusive, I'm going to show you how inclusive that statement really is. What an inclusive statement Jesus made when he said that. So listen to this inclusive statement that Jesus made before he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to see this tonight if you watch the Super Bowl. Right up beside defense is going to be what? John 3.16. It's like the NFL verse. It's at every football game. And here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, and say this word with me, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever, well, who is that? That's anybody. Is that just a certain group of people? No, it's whoever. That's everybody. It's universally everybody who believes in Jesus can have eternal life. That doesn't get any more inclusive than saying everybody. I'm not going to exclude anybody. I'm asking everybody, everyone. The rich, the poor, no matter your race, no matter your background, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you matter and you're included. Now, Jesus's inclusivity is, is equal opportunity because not only is it everyone can come to God through Christ, Here's something else everyone does. In Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, that's not a popular word, sin. It means missing the mark. But it's sin that causes us to fall short. It's sin that leads to death. Sometimes a physical death, but sin leads to death. It leads to death in all areas of life, whether it's relational or physical or emotional. If you constantly lie and deceive your spouse, what's that going to do to the relationship? It will kill it. If you constantly feed your lustful desires, what's that going to do to relationships? It'll kill them. If you constantly give in to your addictions, what's that going to do to your body? What's that going to do to your soul? It will kill it. It leads to death emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. So, if sin keeps me from bridging that gap, if sin keeps me from getting closer to God, then how, how do I do it? How do I get from where I am 
up to where God is. And there's a way for every one of us to get there. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, we read about the beginnings of the first century church. That's what the book of Acts is all about. If you want to know, well, what did people do in the first century when the church began and when they first started to gather and people started to respond and the message of Christ started to be spread, what did people do? Read that New Testament book and you will know what people did. So the book begins with Jesus' disciples at this big festival in Jerusalem He promised his Holy Spirit would show up and his Holy Spirit shows up and and enables them to speak in other languages so all the people there could hear them. It was really inclusive. They didn't want to leave anybody out. And so the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in a miraculous way so everybody understood what was going on. And it was clear that God had shown up to break barriers down between people to deliver the first message. And one of Jesus' followers named Peter, he stood up and started to speak. It's the first sermon after Jesus' resurrection recorded in Scripture. And he gets partway through it and he says this in Acts chapter 2 verse 21, and everyone, there's another inclusive statement, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this was to a religious group of people to good people who were in town celebrating a religious holiday who would have thought they were just fine. They wouldn't have even seen the gap between them and God because, hey, we're doing all the right things, we're good. They probably would have started to wonder, saved from what? What are you talking about? We already know God. And so Peter explains what he really wants them to understand. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. So he's saying, you caused the whole thing with Jesus to happen that you know about. But here's what he did so everybody can know him. And he goes on to say, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. So he was giving them a little explanation. This is why those of us who don't know all of your languages are able to speak all of your languages because his Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. His Spirit has been poured out upon us to do things we normally couldn't do. And so he ends this section by saying this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And then there was probably a silence over the thousands of people because they suddenly saw the separation between where they were and where God was. 
They suddenly understood this Jesus who had just been crucified was actually the Messiah they had been waiting on. When you were younger, do you remember the first time you were away from your parents? I remember it for me, and I was scared to death. First time I went on a trip with friends without them, I remember crying myself to sleep, not letting the other guys see, but crying myself to sleep just because of the feeling of that separation. If you're a follower of Christ, do you remember when you felt that separation between you and God? I remember the day, the night, well, when I first realized God is here and I am here, and I don't know what to do about it. And I felt it. That's what this group of people felt. That separation between them and God. And nobody will respond to God until they perceive the distance between him and them. If you've been praying for somebody, if you've been talking to somebody in your life, and you've just been hoping that they'll make a decision to follow Christ, they will never do it until they perceive that distance that exists. And when they get there, when they can perceive there is a distance between where I am and where God is, when they see that, they're ready to make a decision just like these people were. And here's how they responded when he said, you did this You helped crucify the Lord and the Messiah, and it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So Peter had one goal when he spoke to them. It was to help them see the distance between God and them and to get them to do something about it. Our mission as a church is helping people connect with God. We say that over and over. That's a general statement because it's on purpose because what we want people to do is see God's ideal for their life and start to take steps towards it. Now that's different for different people depending where you are on your journey, but we want everybody to see this is the life that I could have and I want to take a step towards that. That's what Peter was doing that day almost 2,000 years ago. What they're saying to him is, We don't know how to handle this, so what do we need to do? I just need to know. What do we need to do? We feel convicted. We see the distance. What do we do? Well, do we we be a better person? Did he say, just be good. Go home and be good boys and girls and everything will be okay. That won't get you to God. Just doing good things won't work because good changes and good has to have a standard. so, So just being good that's not enough. How about I give more money? Everybody likes money. I'll just give more money. Will that do it? That won't do it either. How about I just try to be a better person? That won't work. Now, what what you're hearing in this response is a response to the first sermon in the first church, the first time anybody responded to the message of Christ that he could forgive their sins, that they could call upon him for salvation. And when they realized they needed to do that, they said, what should we do? And Peter responded with these words. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, even to the Gentiles. In other words, everybody, all who have been called by the Lord our God. What he's saying is, you want to know what to do? You need to surrender. You want to know what to do? You need to take a step towards God and surrender. If you accept this message that Jesus Christ is Lord, here is what you need to do. He did not give them a magical phrase to say. He did not say, repeat these words after me. He said, here's what you need to do. Just do this. You're convicted. Your heart feels heavy. You see the distance. Here's what you need to do. Demonstrate the direction you want to go in by doing a couple things. One, you need to repent. Repent just means that I'm walking in one direction, I turn and walk in another direction. It was a military term, actually. So if the soldiers were walking in one direction and the sergeant yells, repent, they would just turn and walk in another direction. That's simply what it means. It can also mean to change your mind, but it means a change, like moving in one direction, then you're moving in another direction. So he says, you need to change the direction of your life. And then he says, be baptized. Be baptized in water. Do this. And baptism, you're going to see somebody get baptized in just a few minutes. Maybe you're going to be one of those people. But baptism is showing the death, burial, and resurrection of you. It's demonstrating that I'm going to let all of my sins, the thing that separates me from God, be put behind me, and I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised up to walk in new life, just like the resurrection. Jesus was raised in the resurrection, so I'm identifying with him in his resurrection through baptism. You have to be very careful when you talk about baptism, because there's a couple of extremes. There's an extreme that says, if you don't get in the water and do it just right with the right thing in your mind, then it didn't count because the water is what saves you. Our water came from the water hose outside. There's nothing special about that water. It's clean, it's warm, but it came from the spigot at the front of our building through a rubber water hose to right here. Nothing special, it's just Raleigh City water. That's all it is. So there's nothing special in the water that washes away people's sins. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is what washes away and forgives people's sins. That's where forgiveness comes from. But this tangible act of saying, I'm going to leave my old life behind, I'm going to be born again. That is what baptism is. Then there's another extreme of baptism that says, that's eh, an option. You know, you don't have to do it. If you want to, you can, but it's not, it's not a necessary thing. I have read my Bible cover to cover. There's not an optional things Jesus said to do page. There's not. Nowhere does Jesus say, you know what, you can do this if you want, but you don't have to. Baptism's not that. So the extreme that says there's something magical in the water and the extreme that says, oh, it's an option, neither of those are biblical. Those are not. What, G, what Peter was asking these people to do that day. And he continues with that inclusive language after he says, repent, be baptized. The promise is for you and your children, all who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. 
He's saying everybody can get in on this relationship with Jesus. We all get in the same way. And baptism is the simple symbol that shows the separation between your old life and your new one. It doesn't wash away sins, but it's a symbol of Christ washing away my sins and giving new life. And this is the first time baptism is mentioned in the book of Acts. First time. Then every person in the book of Acts that tells the story of the first century church and its beginnings, every single person that said, what do I need to do? Baptism was included. Every single one. No one was told, well, you don't really have to do that if you don't want to. You can follow Jesus without it. That was never a discussion. They would have never had a debate on, well, should I do this or shouldn't? I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not really sure about that. It was not a debate. They followed Jesus, they gave him their life, and then they were baptized. So it's a decision that some of you need to make. It's a decision that you need to make today. It's a decision you need to make right now. Because through your decision to follow Christ, this idea of, well, I'm just going to do more good stuff and follow Jesus. I'm just going to do more good things. If I do more good things, then I'm going to get closer to God. So I'm just going to do more. I'm going to do more. And I'm just going to keep doing more stuff. And that'll, that'll bridge that gap. I'll just stick with that. Well, we know that doesn't work. But Jesus comes along, and this idea of us doing turns to the idea of what he has done. What he has done for us. So no longer is it doing, it, it becomes done. And that's what that group of people were asking about that day. What do we need to do? You need to trust in what's already been done for you and let Jesus bridge that gap. And here's what happens. It says, those who believed what Peter said, they believed in Jesus, were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Our trust in Jesus who's already done what needs to be done. We just trust in it. See, what I believe, it determines who I become. That's what we've been talking about in this whole series. What I believe determines who I become. So I invite you to do what those 3,000 people did. Some of you have been following Christ for a long time, and for some reason you've missed out on this. Go back and get it. Go back and do it. Some of you haven't made the decision to fully trust in Christ and let him bridge that gap between you and God. You need to do that today. There's no record at all in the book of Acts of anybody saying, I just want to wait till you do it in the river. That'd be great. I will stand there and make water sounds while, you, while you're baptized. Or I just want to wait till this person is here or that person is here. We will give you a video so you can show them the day you decided to let God bridge the gap, or Jesus bridge the gap between you and God. Well, I don't have any clothes to get baptized in. We've taken care of that too. Right on down to the underwear that you can keep. <laughs> so if you haven't made the decision to bridge the gap between you and God, make it today. You can't be good enough. You can't climb that ladder by doing good things no matter how good they are. 
you can only climb that ladder by saying, I'm going to get on Jesus' back to go up that ladder. And he's the one that connects me with God when I change my life and when I obey what he asked me to do. So start a new life today. Let's pray. God, we pray today for, I pray for everyone here that has yet to make a decision to follow you. And for those of you that have never been baptized, I pray today they reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by showing their old life is behind and they've started a new life. God, this symbol of baptism just vividly reminds us that there's an old life we need to leave behind and a new life that awaits in Jesus Christ. And I pray for the person that's just hesitant that you would remove that and they would take a step to follow you. In Jesus' name.